Hi, I'm Amit Sharma at the All In Food Studios of the Food Decisions Research Laboratory at Penn State's School of Hospitality Management. Welcome to this podcast from our studio facility in the Madrid Foundation building of the School of Hospitality Management. When the COVID pandemic took us by surprise, the hospitality industry was significantly and negatively impacted. Hotels and restaurants went empty, as did the airlines. Since the pandemic, though, there has been a strong and steady recovery in travel and hospitality industries. In fact, leisure travel is doing quite well. Another sector of the leisure and hospitality industry that has shown a strong comeback has been the meetings and events industry. And this activity is set to grow significantly in the near future. According to the Event Planner Expo website, event management in the United States alone is estimated to be over $1.5 trillion by 2028. When a meeting or an event is planned, if not the biggest, but often the second biggest dollar expense is food. As you have heard on this podcast in an earlier episode, and I'm sure you probably have noticed this while at an event yourself, approximately 40% of the food produced in the United States is wasted. Therefore, food waste is also a big problem in the meeting and events industry. We will be talking about this issue in today's episode. I'm delighted to welcome Dr. Aurora Dawn Benton to help us better understand the phenomena of food waste in the meeting and events space. Dr. Benton is the founder and chief change maker of Estrapto LLC, which advances positive impact in hospitality, travel, and events. Her passion is enabling and empowering all levels of an organization to contribute to and benefit from sustainability endeavors. Estrapto's clients include the World Wildlife Fund, Sodexo Live, Direct Travel, Hard Rock International, Accor, Hilton, and the Greater Miami Convention and Visitor Bureau. Dr. Benton, welcome to All in Food Studios. Thank you so much for having me. Um, Dr. Arroyd, can you tell us a little bit about your work in addressing food waste, especially when it, when, uh, uh, when it, within the meeting and events industry? Yeah, sure. So I started my company, Estrapto, at the end of 2016. I actually don't come from the meetings and events industry. I do not come from the hospitality industry. Uh, I've worked in a variety of, in, of industries in the past, and the job that I had right before I started my company was actually in higher education, but I happened to work for a vertical of a global for-profit education company that focused on culinary and hospitality. So I spent 10 years doing that, so got a lot of exposure, of course, to hospitality and culinary, and when I um, left that and, and was starting this company and deciding what to focus on. I loved what I had been learning and being exposed to there, but also it's my favorite industry as a consumer. It's like the industry I, I love the most. So why not, you know, spend time helping drive positive impact in the industry that I most love. So when I started my company, I was really starting fresh 
Um, I had never worked full-time in sustainability. I had never worked full-time in hospitality events, hotels, <laughs> restaurants even. Um, and so I was really starting at, at the from scratch and I started going to a lot of events uh, and I met someone who heads up the food waste initiatives at World Wildlife Fund. And they were launching at that time uh, Hotel Kitchen. They were beginning to recruit pilot sites for an initiative called Hotel Kitchen. It's maybe your listeners are aware of it, but they're, if they're not, go to hotelkitchen.org. Um, it's a, an initiative that's been in play now for many years. And there's a lot of templates and videos and other helpful resources there. And so I, um, I just kept in touch. And then when they were getting ready to expand that program and do some rollouts in um, sort of looking at rolling that out in particular communities, I, I won a bid to do that for Baltimore and then later for Dallas. And when I did that, the, you know, I was knocking on all these doors, most, you know, mostly hotels because it's hotel kitchen and the hotels, um, which we can talk a little bit about this in our session today, but the hotels are, they're a little challenging and, and it's, it's getting better, but a lot of it was like, Hey, I can give you free training and consulting. Thank you. Okay, but the Baltimore Convention Center rolled out the red car carpet. They were like very keen on sustainability, both uh, the, the who is the, the person who's now the executive director at the Baltimore Convention Center, as well as their in-house catering company at the time, Sodexo Live. Actually, I think that's probably still their caterer. Mm -hmm. um, and they were both just very welcoming about this whole idea. And, and it was such a great experience. We did this, actually, I can, I can share it with you to share with your listeners. It's dated now, but we did this really nice case study publication out of it and just, just did this full end in food waste initiative and training. And that was sort of a rocket ship really for, for my company and the work that I do, but particularly in food waste. And even though I do work in a lot of areas of sustainability, food waste is the thing I still sort of get known most is the first thing that first put me on the map. Mm. So you, you mentioned a few things. I'm, I want to, uh, I actually had this question and I'm glad you brought, brought this up, the, the World Wildlife Fund. And you said that their food initiative is what got you um, uh, to work with them. Just curious, is it is it mostly from the sustainability angle that they look at this or, or is there anything else that gets their attention to food? Yeah, so really a lot of people, I, and it's funny because I've been doing this for so long, I've been, I've been doing multiple projects with World Wildlife Fund over the years in food waste. And so I forget that, you know, I used to bring this up a lot originally, why would World Wildlife Fund care about food waste? And yeah. that's because, you know, we we have statistics that show that the food waste uh, rates around the world range from, you know, 35 to 40 percent. So that means not only are we sending all this food to landfill that creates methane, which, of course, contributes to climate change. Yeah. It also means that we are clear cutting land yeah. and damaging wildlife habitats in order to create food that never gets eaten. And that's the connection. Of course, the, you know, World Wildlife Fund is involved in a lot of other initiatives related to, specifically to food waste reduction, but also other aspects of food sustainability. The, uh, the group I work with is uh, focused exclusively on food waste reduction. And the work that I've been doing is, is centered around that. 
Mm, understood. And and so that, that that's a really important issue that you, you pointed out that, you know, the connection to land and obviously food waste. Every time we talk about food waste, the, the land usage and, of course, water as well are very big factors that come into play. Um, you know, just talking about events in particular, uh, what are some of the factors that you think contribute to food waste uh, in events? And, you know, are there ways that event organizers can mitigate them? Yeah, well, <laughs> If you can, if you can change the mindsets of millions of people, sure. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it really, it really boils down to let's look at the essence of what sustainability. I mean, sorry, what hospitality is. Mm. The essence of hospitality is to create comfort and pleasure and abundance. And so, uh, one of the the biggest challenges sometimes in this work, especially with hotels, is oh, well, we can't really do that because it doesn't fit with our brand because our brand is about opulence. And especially when I'm working, you know, with more of the sort of four and five star properties, our brand mm -hmm. is about opulence. And, you know, we have certain standards about how full a bowl should be or whatever. And, and of course, what, what even more so drives it is fear of running out. It mm -hmm. is unbelievable how every person in the entire event ecosystem is thinking this, the sphere running out. And as a result, you get padding at every step of the planning phase. Everything from a planner trying to estimate their numbers to a banquet server deciding how much of something to put out or a line cook deciding how much of something to, to create. Even though in theory, all of that should be programmed and determined you know, what you see on a production sheet isn't always what ends out on a buffet, right? So the fear, the fear of running out, the fear of being called out, the fear of angry clients, the fear of meeting planners being upset, the fear of guests being unhappy, all of those things drive so much of the small decisions that pile up into quite a bit of waste. Mm. So that's very interesting. You know, I'll, I'll relate to a personal experience I had just, in fact, last weekend um, at an event, and and the same thing happened. Uh, one of the dishes ran out, and there was sort of a, a, a negativity, if you want to call it, amongst the uh, the attendees. That wait a minute, I, I paid for this event, and and I didn't even taste that dish. So I, I can see that pressure from the customer. Um, and, and I can I can see the events planner kind of succumbing to that that pressure. I even but, succumb to that when right. I do food waste audits and I see like a platter of breakfast pastries and there's one pastry on it. Even I get anxious. <laughs> this is what I do for a living, so it's ingrained. It's hardwired into our our human <laughs> um, system. <laughs> So is there, have there been any best practices to try and counter that, that challenge? So I'm, I'm, I'm thinking that, you know, maybe if there was some messaging around the fact that if this runs out, I don't know, we apologize, et cetera, et cetera. But guess what? We've saved from food waste. Mm -hmm. Are there any such things that the industry has tried? Yeah, you know, I tend to focus more on what can be done back of house because that front of house communication can get tricky. So I'll answer your question, but then we can also talk about all those best practices back of house. Mm -hmm. um, so in terms of communication, you get everything from, you know, signage that says something to the effect of, 
you know, take all you want, but eat all you take, right? So just being mindful of how much you put on your plate. Sure. Uh, there are, you know, you sometimes at certain events, especially of especially an event that is inherently more sustainability oriented, you're going to see more signage around things like this, like, oh, we use the we use some food waste to create this sauce or something like that, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but it it can be very tricky because a lot of that is going to depend very much on who your audience is, mm. right? And so when we talk to, especially when it relates to business events, but even when you think about things like weddings, not going to do that wedding, like, like a wedding is a thing that is meant to show off your, you know, your wealth and your success and your, you know, I mean, it's like, so doing things like this, things like weddings and galas is very difficult because it really, it really feels like it runs counter to what you're trying to create in terms of an experience. But even at sort of your run-of-the-mill association conference, you know, there can be resistance because it can depend on who the audience is. When you have VIPs in your audience, forget it. None of, you're not going to get very far with those things because you still get a lot of VIPs that make special requests that are not remotely sustainable. And mm. you can't, there's not a lot you can do about it until they've bought into that process um, so yeah, there and there are, you know, in fact, World Wildlife Fund does um, invest in some initiatives looking at creating that customer-facing communication. That is very much an area that they are interested in and working on. I tend to work more, again, I tend to work more sort of back of house. I work with planners and all the things that they can do to sort of, um, including communication, but sort of leading up to the, in the planning process and the same with suppliers. But like another, you know, another thing I was just uh, had a training session with a planner group this week and we were talking about the ways that they can use their event app in mm. communicating. Mm-hmm. So yeah. it might not be the headliner topic, but you can have a section of your event app that talks about food waste. You can have QR codes for those who might want to learn a little bit more. They can go to a section of the event app or on a web page that learn that, that where they can learn here are our initiatives. Here's what we're trying to do. Um, so, so that's another way to, to make it uh, a positive and sort of integrated experience versus this like sort of in- disruptive, like, oh, I'm having this great experience. Oh, all of a sudden I read this sign that kind of rubs me the wrong way. Like you, you want to avoid that if you can. Although like I, another example, I, I just heard on a call this morning, they were, t- and I, I occasionally hear examples like this. They were talking about the like breakfast breakfast pastries running out and having a sign that said, you know, sorry, we ran out, show up on time next time or something like that. (laughs) So if you, you know, if you're comfortable with your audience and you feel like, listen, you're an adult, get downstairs on time and eat your breakfast, right? Like, so, you know, so there, there are things like that. And I think also just like resetting the mindset with certain types of events is the, is it right to expect that when I show up to an event, you know, that you are, you are their event planner and venue to completely cater to my every food whim? Oh, I mean, it's good if food is available. It's good if the food is tasty. Food should be treated like a strategic part of any business meeting. It should not be thought of as simply calories. And Mm -hmm. so, 
Um, I think we just have to rethink all of that. And that's not going to happen overnight. And yes, people are going to push back just because it is just, we're hardwired to think this way. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned uh, the, the options part, because that's another thing when it comes to food options, right? Um, more is better, of course. Uh, and, and, and I agree with you, uh, you know, that it, it's that fear of, uh, you didn't say the exact words, but I think that's what you meant in terms of the competition, that no one else is reducing that. So how will, how will our events look? But when it, especially when it comes to food options, and, I, and I'm, I'm going to go back to this, the latest experience I had, you know, you kind of sometimes you go cold on this buffet line and you suddenly see all of these options. So as, as, a, as a consumer, you're thinking, whoa, I don't want to miss out on this. Well, I'm going to take this and that and this and that and this. And then suddenly you have a plate full that you can't even carry. Um, no, I didn't do that. I'm just saying that that's a, I've done that in the past, not on this event. But that's one factor that could lead to food waste. So there's obviously this pressure from the consumer. But how, how do events, are, is, are they managing that or in some ways or not? Well, I think there are a few things at play here. One is that sometimes when you walk up to a buffet, you don't really know what you're getting. So you right. take the first thing you see, and then the next thing looks interesting, and then the next thing looks interesting. And so one of the things that I have recommended to uh, planners and venues and hotels is to have large format digital displays when you're coming into the area of where a buffet is going to be. Show mm -hmm. show a story on the farmer you sourced your lettuce from. Show Give a QR code so they can learn more about the ingredients so that people have allergens or medical uh, necessities around food that they can check out the details. Um, show them images and, and large font, please. There's nothing more irritating than walking up to a buffet and there's like a little tiny business card size label with a 10 point font. <laughs> it is That's the funny. most annoying thing, right? And it's not accessible. I mean, never mind accessibility and all of this, right? So, so there, so there's that one, one way, one thing is like how you communicate it. Now, of course, if you sell people on this delicious item and then it's run out, yeah, that could be a problem. I mean, admittedly, yeah, right. it's, you know, but that's going to be a problem whether you sold it or not. It's, you know, but it True. also might be an opportunity. It, I mean, this is getting a little higher tech than most venues and hotels are ready to be, but it also gives you an opportunity to suddenly switch what the images are so if you're running low on something you pull that mm -hmm. image so people don't even know it was an option you know they don't even see now you're going to sell them on the wonderfulness of this other item that you do still have in stock right so mm -hmm. so there i mean i think with technology we can eventually see more things like that i think um another thing that happens when it comes to options is accessibility the more mm -hmm. options you have the more you can accommodate diversity the more mm -hmm. options you have, the more waste you are going to have. So an example of something that you tend to see from the accessibility and diversity side is deconstructed whatever, deconstructed mm -hmm. oatmeal bars, salad bars, burrito bowl bars, whatever. And the venues and hotels will tell you across the board, those are incredibly wasteful. Mm. And I think that there are, you know, a variety of reasons for that. But one of the reasons from the, on the sort of operational side is that we tend to put toppings out in equal measure. 
But if you mm. have a build your own salad bar, people are going to take tomatoes at a different rate than they take black olives. Mm-hmm. And, the, and the traditional approach has been when I'm coming out and replacing the tomatoes, I'm going to also do the olives and the other things because, hey, that's just what we do. We pull off the plastic wrap and we just we're running on autopilot as servers mm-hmm. and Mm-hmm. And, you know, event operations teams without even really thinking about it. Some venues are getting better at, you know, combining the food and, and being more mindful of those things. But you still see a lot of waste because of, of that sort of thing. Um, or at the end of the buffet, there's a huge container of olives that people barely touched. And that's mm-hmm. all going to go in the trash because it's sad. Right. And it can't be donated at that point. Um, and also not that really donating black olives is not really going to be a popular option for the community right, anyway. Right, right, um, right. So the deconstruction can be a little bit challenging. So then it's like, well, what is the compromise? Well, let's mm. leave off the dressing and the cheese and and make it nut free. And then that way we can be a little bit more assured that everyone's going to be okay with the salad. And, and so... Mm. So, yeah, I think that there are, um, when it comes to options, there are some pitfalls that Mm -hmm. we can avoid. I think another example of this is the way we build menus all together. I am shocked by how Mm -hmm. often I look at a menu and like a BEO, I'll look at a a banquet event order and just be like, I'm sorry, did anybody pick up on the fact that every single thing on this breakfast buffet is sugar? Mm. Like people are going to be upset that they don't have any protein. Well, eggs Mm. cost a lot extra. And so Mm. what they tend to do is, well, since we can't afford the eggs, we're just going to pile on the bakery items. But that's not how people eat. If I go to a buffet and there's not eggs, I'm not going to eat four croissants to make up for it. (laughs) I'm just going to eat my croissant and be, you know, irritated that I had no protein, you know? And so um, I I see that a lot, a lot when planners are trying to save money. So they Mm. will take off things like proteins and, and it's like, but, but that's just not the way people eat. We have to think about the way people eat. And of course, Planners are extremely busy people. I mean, I'm sure a lot of you know, any of them that are listening are like, I'm sorry, I don't have time to be thinking about these things. And so that's where I feel like the hotels and the venues can really provide better consultative uh, input and advice for planners and build trust. I think there's a lot of, there's a lack of trust that makes this a very difficult thing to do, but by building trust, and providing some some wisdom and insight around these things, the hotel and venue can really sort of carry the load of all this thought because this is what they do every day. And they can really help planners in that regard. Got it. Okay, so Aurora, we usually take a, um, a quiz question for our audience. So, so it's time for that. So now to the quiz question for today's, uh, of today's podcast. This is a history question. Who is considered to be the first event planner in history? And of course, we'll share the answer once we are done with this really engaging discussion. I I have no idea. I'm going to fail this one. (laughs) Well, as I was saying before we started, you'll either correct me or or, or agree with this. Oh, I'm not going to dispute your answer. All right. So you mentioned uh, right before we, we took the break, you mentioned food donations. Do you think food donations um, and sort of redistribution uh, 
can play a role in food waste when it comes to events? Yeah, absolutely. I, I um, A great visual for people to look up and be aware of is the uh, food waste or any sort of waste reduction hierarchy. So imagine an inverted pyramid where the top row, the largest row is the first priority of what should, we should do. And then it kind of goes down from there. So it's mm. prevention is at the top or source reduction will be the words you'll see at the very top. Under mm. that is reuse and repurpose. So in, in what that would be is, let's say I, I had all those olives <clears throat> in containers, back of house with plastic wrap over them. So they never went out. Right. Mm -hmm. Okay. So then those can probably easily just be poured right back into the big, you know, container they came out of and you'll use on the next event you have. Right. Mm -hmm. um, let's say you had cut tomatoes for that salad bar that were left over. Well, you can't throw them back in a, a thing, but you might be doing a salad bar the next day and they're still fresh enough. Or maybe they go back into the kitchen and they get chopped a little more finely and become the salsa for that evening's taco bar or something like that. So that's those are reuse and repurpose examples. Under that, and another kind of example of reuse and repurpose is also like staff meals. So mm -hmm. a lot of times the, the hotels and venues will take excess food and, and put it into their staff cafeteria. Um, then under that is food donation for human consumption first and animal consumption second. So that's where you send food out to food banks, churches, homeless shelters, other community organizations. Mm. Now, I will caveat that to say that I believe that we we have two big problems when it comes to donations. I, we have multiple problems, but two mm. two mm. main problems that I that I think we have to address. One is that the vast majority of hotels Convention centers are better at this, but the vast majority of hotels still do not donate. They still mm. claim liability issues mm -hmm. as the reason they cannot donate. There is a federal law that protects them from being mm -hmm. sued if they donate True. using the same food practices they use every day to serve food. Exactly. Products. And not only that, in California, it is now the law to donate. So not mm. only can you claim, oh, we'll be sued. No, you are going to be fined by mm -hmm. your local government if you are not donating excess food. Now, the other problem um, that I find in donation is on the community side. So that's sort of like the supply, the, the hotel or venue side. On the mm. community side, um, the problem, and I'm not saying this is the problem of the community. I'm saying like this it stems from the community side. One mm. is that we can't treat communities like our garbage disposals when we've overproduced at events. And that's often those who do donate. Are, mm. It's just like, oh, well, we're, we're donating. So check, we're done, right? It's all good. Mm. Mm. Mm -hmm. Yes, but a lot of what you're preparing is not healthy for the community that you want to donate to. They don't need mm. to be eating lots of bagels and pancakes and syrup and the things that mm. you're sending out to them. Mm -hmm. Or because of the nature of what you prepared, they're not able to eat what you prepare. And then mm -hmm. the other problem that really prevents a lot of donation is logistics, is really like who's going to come pick the, pick the food up. Then that's, we could have a whole separate podcast on that. Yeah. yeah, yeah, back yeah. To that, that, um, that pyramid underneath donation for humans is donation for food, uh, for uh, animals. So a lot of venues, especially larger venues will send their excess to pig farms. And then at the very bottom, 
of this is compost. So composting, yeah. digesters, which is something that's a, kind of like a massive garbage disposal type machine that turns food waste into gray water that can then be gone, goes through the sewage system. And so what happens there again is there's a little bit of like, we compost, we're done. Yay, us. <laughs> and and I literally, I've, I've trained in hotels where they, that's that, all the time. It happens where they come in yeah. and they, they they almost come into the room like, what what are you doing here? Why don't you, we don't need you. We, we compost, we're good. When I'm done with them, they understand that that's not enough. And, and I love yeah. to hear that at the end. I hear that's a very, very common testimonial that I hear after doing training is that, that there's a real aha that the compost program is the last resort. It's not the thing. It is the last resort when you've tried everything else. Mm. And I think that's another thing that people, it's very important. We have to compost, but I think it's very important for people to understand that there are many other things we should be doing first. So, you know, that gets me uh, to the issue. And I was going to ask you uh, what are some of the, the best practices. I think you already shared uh, a few of those. But it got me thinking, the, the, the issue related to the law, the legality of donations, and, and then the, the, the inverted pyramid that you were talking about, and the lack of that knowledge. Do you think event, event, meetings, uh, event and meeting planners get a formal training on how to ensure sustainability of events um, so that they can create those best practices or, or, you know, what's missing here? Yeah. So I think that a lot of the events industry associations and groups are really coming up to speed on, on getting this kind of content out in front of their members. So mm -hmm. I speak at PCMA events. I speak at MPI events. I speak at IMX. So those are those are good ways for, you know, when people are getting that industry education, they can learn about these things. Um, I, I, I believe that we are starting to really see a lot more interest in uh, the corporate world where there are major corporate level commitments around net zero and or, or whatever the reductions or the strategy is. It mm -hmm. takes a while for that to filter down into things like meetings and events, but mm -hmm. it's starting to show up. You start to see that more. Um, the Events Industry Council has a sustainable event professional certificate course. Mm -hmm. I think it's an excellent course, but in full disclosure, I did create the online version of that course. Um, and it is substantial. It, there are 16 modules and it's worth 12 CMP credits if that gives you any concept of how it, how extensive it is. But it's an mm -hmm. introductory course, which is mm -hmm. great. Like a lot of people actually come out of that course going, what's next? I'm ready to learn more. And it's mm -hmm. really very comprehensive around all sorts of things that touch the event ecosystem as it relates to sustainability. So that's gaining some traction. And that's, I think, going to be a really helpful uh, resource for the industry, as well as, of course, the content the PCMA and MPI and others like them are um, developing. And then there are some specialty groups. There is the, the Society for Sustainable Events. Mm -hmm. There is the um, there's one specific to the uh, Florida and Caribbean Sustainable Event Network. There is MUSE, which is Members United for Sustainable Events. There's SCA, mm -hmm. the, social, the 
sustainable event alliance and there's probably more especially in europe or other areas that i'm i'm not even listing so there are there is a growing community of people that really care about this and are really getting very engaged and seeking out all kinds of educational opportunities and i know that the universities are starting to really grab hold of this as something that needs to be integrated into their uh their degree programs as well yeah, that, that those are really good points because you know as the industry is maturing, so is the association and the support system that comes along with it, and and hopefully that's going to uh, help the event planner uh, uh, planner uh, professionals as well. Um, uh, and I, I that that's a that's a that's an optimistic trend uh, to solve the problem. When it comes to the actual food waste part, what how what how do you see the future in events? Well. I think that there's a, a lot we can do with technology. I find that the food and beverage, the food service industry is still very analog. You know, it's not uncommon when I ask for like, well, you know, what are you, can you send me your donation records? And right. people will start rifling around in a drawer looking for a piece of paper, or I'll get a PDF <laughs> that says April 400 pounds. 400 pounds of what? <laughs> like, the, doesn't anyone want to know what you donated 400 pounds of? And, like, and just, to whom? My mind is blown by the fact right. that one is capturing And to whom? That. And whom, who did you donate it to, right? Well, yeah, and that's usually, and actually, that's another great point because usually that data comes from the donation partner. The, the venue itself isn't tracking their own donations. They're getting a receipt from the mm-hmm. donation partner. And that's what that's they're true. using as their source of data, right? Yeah. Like I'm like, are you kidding me? And then, oh my gosh, how often do I walk into a kitchen and see spoilage logs scribbled on the clipboards hanging on a wall? Not in an Excel sheet, no <laughs> analytics, no, it, it it's literally, I got to check a box because I'm supposed to have a spoilage log. And it's not even readable, much less usable. So I think that our opportunity to just track all this, and of course, you, you probably you might be aware that there are now um, systems. There, two of the ones I'm most aware of are LeanPath and Winnow, and these are both mm-hmm. systems that you can install in kitchens or sometimes in front of house areas, especially like in university settings, mm-hmm. where uh, you know camera technology and you know kind of a touchpad allows you to measure and see what waste is happening. I do hear from a lot of chefs that have those installed that the usage of them is very inconsistent. And so mm-hmm. we have some work to do. I, I, right. I don't there is the systems. It's not, that's not the problem with the systems. That's the problem with culture. And so right. we need to do a lot to shift the culture in the industry to be more data-driven, data-driven decisions. And I think that as we do that and we're able to provide planners with better data and, you know, better and planners also could get better data by asking better questions on registration forms, you know, other ways to get digital input. And when we have that, the ability to turn that into insight and intelligence, well, we know how to do that, right? You just, you know, mm-hmm. you can get an intern with good spreadsheet skills and figure that out, right? Mm-hmm. But like, if you don't have the data, then you can't really do that. And so I think that 
the future to me, the, the best opportunity we have for the future, because it is the most doable thing you could possibly choose in all of this is way easier to add technology to the equation than it is to change the whole cultural mindset around food on a buffet. Right. Mm. So that's why I, I like to do the things that I feel are easy wins, right? Mm. Like uh, one of the easiest wins we find working with the hotels and venues is to right size their vessels. It is mm. usually the biggest no duh. Once I start showing mm -hmm. the photos and getting that around to that topic, usually the light comes on like, well, we could order new bowls, then mm. order new bowls. Right? <laughs> so, you know, we're looking for like, what are those easy wins? Because the things we talked about earlier, like changing the mindset of a person who wants to try all these foods or changing the mindset of someone who's afraid of running out of food, that's a lot harder. That's that's yeah. tough stuff. And we should work on that. But I like to first work on those easy wins when everybody is like, oh, yeah, we can get on board with that. So then let's do those first. And it's kind of an 80-20 rule. I feel like if we can do those things, we're going to fix 80% yeah. of the problem. And mm -hmm. it's that last mile, you know, you kind of get to the last mile type of problems and, and we'll get around to those when we get around to those. Uh, Aurora, thank you so much for this really engaging uh, discussion. Uh, you're, you're, doing, you're, you're doing some incredible and, and, and much needed work, um, and particularly in this space, uh, which, I, which I can already, I mean, I can see that uh, how valuable it is to, to your uh, stakeholders. So thank you. Thank you for thank taking you. the time to, to be with us. But please don't go. We have the answer to our quiz question. Now, I, I, this, the, the, so here's the answer to our quiz question. Um, I had to look up two sources to make sure because this sounded too good to be too too, in, too interesting to be true. According to two sources, uh, eventplannerspain.com and Eventine, the Hall of Fame award for the first ever event planner in history goes to Cleopatra. Apparently, Cleopatra's events used to be elaborate boat rides down the Nile River with all sorts of luxuries for the guests. Um, and the invitees were sent hand-delivered messages to, to, to be part of the events. Uh, other later event planners of fame in history were Madame Pompadour, the mistress of King Louis the, the, the 15th, and of course, Miss, uh, and, uh, um, uh, of course, uh, Marie Antoinette. I can Does see that that, that, that makes ring a bell? sense. Okay. <laughs> I will makes not sense. dispute that. <laughs> <laughs> we, of course, have no knowledge of how much food waste they created in those events. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Well, and, and I mean, you think about the supply chain of the events and the freshness of all the food. It's not like they had massive refrigeration systems. Precisely. Time, right. So they were accustomed to dealing with food in ways to preserve it in that's different than the way we operate in our society now. Right. Precisely. Um, as for now, uh, please, um, uh, uh, please be observant when you are at an event next time and, and, and possibly plan that plate that you're going to take off uh, full of food uh, a bit more carefully. Thank you for listening, and if you enjoyed this podcast, please share it with two or more people who you think will benefit from listening to it. And as always, make safe and informed food choices. Above all, please stay healthy and cheerful. Until next time from the All In Food Studios, this is Amit Sharma. Thank you for listening.